But I really started thinking one day, okay, where do all the other small business owners go? If they do not have a brick and mortar, where do they go to conduct business? I previously was almost always on site with a client, either in their corporate office here in Franklin Brentwood or out in one of their regions. But when I was not doing that temporarily, you're working out of a coffee shop or you're working out of your house. And so it's very hard to have confidential conversations with employees. It's hard to do business development when you're in a busy coffee shop. If you can find a seat and started looking around and something popped up, it was a co-working space down in uh, Buckhead. And I thought, well, this looks interesting. Didn't really know a lot about co-working spaces or those types of things. And so called him up and went down and spent the day and thought, oh, this is really nice. I can see what draws business owners. And theirs was women only. I did not initially set out to have a women only co-working space, but it sort of evolved. But when I went in and visited, I thought this is Williamson County, Franklin, Brentwood. This demographic is a lot like the Buckhead outside of Atlanta. And thought surely we could use one of these and you know if you build it they'll come in a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers themselves and each other well we know that rarely happens I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun about all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Tammy Osborne. Tammy is the founder and CEO of the healthcare consulting firm Bridgemore IT Consulting, responsible for managing change and new technology adoption for multi-million dollar projects. She is also the founder of the Sapphire Suite, a luxury co-working space catering especially to women in the Nashville, Tennessee area. Before starting her own business, Tammy had 30 years' experience in healthcare as an enterprise technology executive leader, EHR EMR consultant, and a clinician. You can learn more about Tammy's businesses at bridgemoreit.com and thesapphiresuite.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Tammy. Tammy, I'd like to welcome you to the corporate couch today. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited uh, to talk to you. Uh, actually, we're recording this in uh, late September. We were introduced by Mary uh, Mesmer, Mesner, and actually her podcast will be published uh, next week on Monday. So that's uh, I'm excited for that one, but I really appreciated it. So yeah, I always like to start off with a fun question. So um, you were to ha hang out for a day with anyone, Tammy, living or deceased, who would you pick and why? Oh, gosh, I didn't expect you to throw deceased in there. That may have changed the answer a little bit. <laughs> I'll give you two choices. How about one? No, <laughs> you know, we'll go with living. We'll go with living. Elon Musk would be the person that I would hang out with. And why is that? I think he's innovative. He's very forward thinking. 
he just lives such an eclectic life. Obviously, he's running what three major companies. Right. His days are probably insanely busy. And just the access that he has to intellectuals. And I I love that he does not put limits on anything. If he imagines it, he doesn't say, you know, is it possible? He goes out and starts looking for the right talent to make it happen. So I just think what an amazing, what an amazing day, what, what his days just must be. Amazing. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, you're right. It must be phenomenal. Definitely. Yeah. He's, you know, he doesn't think of things growing at two X or three X or five X, you know, he, he thinks of a hundred X, you know, the, the, to scale. So yeah, uh, obviously uh, one of the brightest uh, people in the world today. So. And culture. I'd like to see what his culture is really like um, because of his personality. And obviously the things that you see in public, you know, it could be totally different in private, but I would, I would really be curious to see what his corporate culture looks like at each one of his companies. Yeah. Because it could be different for all three, um, but I would love to see what his corporate culture looks like. Yeah, that is, that would be an interesting uh, uh, case review or whatever you want, <laughs> or article uh, in some uh, uh, business publication. Yeah, that'd be excellent. Um, so you're, uh, you're in, uh, Franklin, beautiful Franklin, Tennessee today. is. Okay. Uh, did you grow up in Tennessee? I did not. I grew up in rural east, northeastern North Carolina. Okay. North Just Carolina. about two hours south of Richmond. Okay. What was uh, fun uh, as a child? What did you love doing? Oh, gosh. Um, riding bikes with friends. Uh, we spent a lot of time on the water. You know, we were two hours from the Outer Banks, so the weekends were usually spent at the campground, uh, my dad had a place down at the campground close to the Outer Banks. Um, and then at home, just a lot of time on the river on the weekends, water skiing. Uh, my stepdad was a big hunter, big fisherman. So nice. just a country girl. Yeah, I love that. So you, uh, did you participate in any hunting and fishing yourself? Yes, we oh, did. Nice. Do a lot. Am I going to get in trouble? For no, that? why? Is that bad? No, no. Well, you don't, you know, you just don't know in the state. He was really big into, um, this is going to, this is going to sound so country, really big into rack, like coon hunting, squirrel hunting. Sure. Um, He did did not do a lot of deer hunting. My dad and brother uh, did a lot of deer hunting, but he did a lot of coon hunting. Had, we always had coon dogs, you know, we always had hunting dogs. Uh, And then he got, did a lot of fishing, a lot of heron fishing, which is, you know, very common there in that part of the, of the state. Yeah. I love country music. Are you a country music fan? I am a country. I like all kinds. There's really only a couple that I don't like, which would be hard, you know, heavy metal, hard rap, but I like all kinds, classic rock, country music. Okay. Who's your favorite country artist? Luke Combs. Uh Oh, nice. Yeah. He's phenomenal. Uh, I'm based in Kansas city. He came for, I didn't go to the concert. He was at Arrowhead stadium, which, uh, uh, this past Sunday, we had another famous guest at Arrowhead stadium, watch a chiefs game. It's, uh, uh, Taylor Swift and uh, Travis Kelsey are, are dating. So that's uh, been uh, big news in Kansas City and worldwide, actually. So. I heard that. we were. I was watching that game and that almost became the dominant theme, you yeah. know, of the game instead of the game itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. So growing up, um, did you have any aspirations uh, to, you know, when, you know, a lot of kids will say, oh, when I grow up, I want to be this. What was What was this for you? Oh gosh, Jeff! I wanted to fly jets. Really nice. I, 
I, I'm a goer. I love to go. My middle name is Joe. And my dad always teased me and said it should have been go instead of Joe. <laughs> I love it. Um, but I wanted to fly jets. Yeah. Wow. And and where did you get, I mean, was it a movie? Was it, I mean, why? You know, I, I looking back, I think it's because we were so close to, so we, we were, I grew up in Northeastern North Carolina, but we were about an hour and 15 minutes from Norfolk, Virginia Beach. And so a lot of Navy, you know, there uh, in Norfolk. And looking back, sometimes I wonder if it's because they would do training exercises and late in the afternoon, a lot of times you those jets would fly over. A lot of times they were pretty low and you could hear them coming. And so sometimes just looking back, I wonder if that's what it was thinking, man, that's about as fast as you can go right there. So I don't know, a lot of speed, a lot of control, but whew, high risk. I'm not quite that high risk. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been in a jet? As a passenger? Uh, never, never, not, not like, yeah. not one of those. No, <laughs> yeah. I have never been either, but you know, a lot of professional athletes get to go up there or actors and I don't have quantitative data on it, but I, I would say close to a hundred percent, you know, throw up <laughs> during the, <laughs> during yeah. the voyage. <laughs> yeah. You said when I was younger, I don't know that that would be. The yeah, same. right. I know that I'd have that same desire now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you go to college. What was your uh, what was your, your college and uh, what was your initial major or final major? So I went to a small um, junior college in northeastern North Carolina called Chowan College, and uh, majored in accounting. Well, actually, I started off at Chowan. My major was accounting. Uh, I love math and thought, what a great way to spend my days. Just loved it. Thrived on it. Uh, we got to income tax accounting and I was like, no, thank you. This is not <laughs> how I want to spend the rest of my life. Stuck in a corporate cube somewhere, you know, not talking to anyone all day and just running numbers pass. Right. So then where was you, what, what did you pivot to at that point? Nursing. So right about the time um, that I was kind of having that realization about income tax accounting, had a great experience, had to go into the ER for something, had a great experience with an ER nurse and thought, wow, what a great profession. Um, she literally helps people all day. There is a lot of um, social aspect. I mean, she's literally interacting with people all day. And that is much more preferable to being stuck, you know, in a corporate cube somewhere. And so pivoted to nursing school. Um, and then, you know, I I always tell people I did it the long way. I did, uh, back in the day, you could get your licensed practical nursing degree. So I did an LPN program, which then did a bridge to an RN program, which allowed me to work um, as an LPN. I worked in a state psychiatric facility in Virginia called Western State Hospital and um, pivoted, got my RN uh, license. And then later on, got my bachelor's degree from Old Dominion University out of Hampton. Oh, so wow. I did that remote while I was working in the, uh, in critical care. Wow. And so that one experience made, made a career decision for you. It did. Wow. It did. She was wonderful, full of compassion. Wow. And of course, lots of things were happening in the background in the ER, you know, it's like, right. oh, this is exciting too. Um, there's a lot that goes on in here. So. Yeah. Actually one of our daughters graduated from, uh, the, well, we had, actually two daughters that go to nursing school, but one graduated and her first job was in uh, at uh, an ER uh, during the pandemic. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she started right wow. before the pandemic and 
And yeah, so it was, yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, we had people that would not even want to be with her, you know, because so many COVID patients were coming in in the beginning to the, to ERs, if you remember. So, yeah. yeah that added a whole, a whole new level of chaos um, to ERs. I was, I was on a project at the time and I, everything totally shifted. You know, the focus of our project completely shifted to setting up tents and ER parking lots and setting up ways in which um, ER providers and nurses could leverage the technology to screen patients out in the parking lot under a tent. So it's just a whole new, whole new dynamic. Yeah. So your career in nursing took a traditional route. You were a nurse and that was about based on what I could uh, put put together about 13 years in that in that profession so yep. and then you go to McKesson right and so you're you're a nurse and now you're you made a pivot to I'll say you know corporate America mm -hmm. uh, so what was you know what drove that change um, I had ha I had held a, a, a variety of positions in, you know, as a nurse from bedside care in critical care to working with a general surgeon and being a practice manager, um, which was a great opportunity for me. I learned a, a, a ton about that side of the house uh, in terms of practice management and operations and billing and coding and that whole side of the healthcare spectrum, you know, is totally different than, than the bedside piece. And so learned that and then uh, took some took a leadership role in in a in, with Mercy Health or St. Mary's Health at the time in Knoxville and then after a few years decided did not want to necessarily manage people directly anymore um, or do the bedside and on call and everything and really sort of missed um, looking back at you know initially wanting to go into accounting I think a lot of what also drove that is that love for the technology that was coming out you know computers were really starting to to be a thing and thought, well, well, certainly those software companies need folks with clinical backgrounds to tell them what we need the system to be able to do, as opposed to sort of the guys in jeans in the basement, you know, building the software. Right. Uh, surely they're hiring. Did not even know what the position would be called. Just knew that I wanted to help physicians use the technology to make things better for the for patients and for the whole experience, you know, and, and patient outcomes. And so started Googling a couple of things and sort of pieced it together. And what kept popping up were these ads by McKesson uh, to help physicians adopt new technology. And so fired off an email that had about eight or 10 people on it and probably within 30 minutes had six to eight responses and uh, interview requests. So wow. made that transition to implementing and, and helping physicians adopt the McKesson physician product at the time, which I don't believe exists anymore. Interesting. So, did, and you had those email addresses based on your uh, position at, uh, at Mercy Health? Is that how you? There were email you? addresses on the job descriptions. Oh, so oh wow. It would say email, you know, oh, Beth wow. at McKesson.com or oh, wow. email your resume to Jeff at McKesson.com. Oh, okay. Interesting. Wow. I put a little paragraph together and blind copied all of them and sent one email. <laughs> oh, really? That's great. Well, and I left it very open. I just said, I'm a clinician, you know, with this many years of experience in these areas and including I'd helped with some project management in the organization and uh, informally project management. And um, I'm looking to transition to healthcare technology. I'm willing to go back and get another degree. Which degree would you place the most 
wait on um, or would you recommend? And rather than replying with school recommendations or, or degree recommendations, they replied with requests for interviews. Wow. That's so great. About three months, I had a new job. Wow. So you transitioned after, you know, working, you know, in hospitals and other uh, healthcare facilities. What was your biggest surprise when you started working at McKesson? Um, it was a big adjustment. A, I was traveling all over the country. My kids were four, three, and one at the time. So that was a, that was a huge adjustment. I think for me, and McKesson was a great company to work for. I'll just say that. I love that. I worked for them a year. Um, I think the, the biggest adjustment for me was how slow things moved, you know, all the red tape. And as consultants on the project, we would identify issues, but it seemed like it just took forever to get changes made or approved. And so it's like, gosh, how do these big companies, how do these big corporations move quickly? They're, they definitely are not agile. My gosh, how do they make progress? Because things seem to move so slow. Right. You you love McKesson, great company, but you moved on after a year. What was the thought process behind that and where'd you go? When I took the position at McKesson, like I said, my kids were four, three, and one. In fact, when I interviewed, I did not let them know that I had kids, my, the hiring manager, you know, I did right. not. And um, the agreement at home was if you're going to be on the road traveling Monday through Friday every week is that we will give it a year two years max. And so literally one year to the week, um, a position opened back up at Mercy and it was in the IT department as opposed to the clinical. And so um, stepped back into a role there implementing cardiology technology, which having been a critical care nurse, cardiology really was sort of that first love on the clinical side of things. And so went back into a role implementing, they had just purchased a lot of things for the cath lab and new technology. And so I was able to go back into that role. You know, to get an IT type job without really IT background, did you think you were able to go back to Mercy because you had worked there before and established such a great reputation? I think that was part of it. I think that I had really good relationships with leadership. Um, there were, at the time, there were probably, I think there were six hospitals in the system. And we were part of Catholic Healthcare Partners out of Cincinnati. And so they were specifically, I think, looking for someone with a clinical background to come into that role because to be able to step into the cath lab and have credibility with the nurses and the providers uh, and leadership in there, having that clinical background is, I think, really what made the difference. Yeah. And so, I mean, having a healthcare IT experience is phenomenal. So, And they were a McKesson shop also. Same. Okay. Mercy was a McKesson shop. And so... Yeah. So when did you get the first inkling to start uh, your own company when you did, uh, I know you started Bridgemore IT Consulting in 2012. So what, when was that kind of seed planted? When I went back into um, Mercy Health, I, I still want to call it St. Mary's, but when I went back into Mercy Health, took that role and a couple of really big initiatives came down the pike as far as um, we did a merger and acquisition with Baptist Health System, took on a, a large role on that project. And then eventually Mercy restructured and went to a more corporate model and regional model. And so being in that role, I became the leader in the Knoxville area for our depart for our IT department. And I was signing invoices one day and some McKesson invoices came across my desk. And when I looked at consultant bill rates and thought, wow, 
I don't, I don't think, you know, this is not exactly what I was making when I worked you know, right. for a software company. Right. And so if, if they can bill me out at that, I can bill me out at that as, as well. And I, I really missed consulting. I think right. there's something I loved the consulting aspect where you're not caught up in all of the office dynamic and, and all of that. And you can go in and make recommendations for best practice and based on your experience. And as long as that flight leaves, you know, at four o'clock on Thursday, you're out of there. <laughs> um, so I missed that and wanted, and I knew that at some point, um, I didn't expect it to be that soon, but I knew that at some point I had always thought that when my kids are, are grown, I will return to the consulting world. But that opportunity, you know, then came up and went for it. Wow. Yeah, you didn't need a accounting degree or background to understand that if they're billing out at 300 to $400 an hour and you weren't getting paid that, there's an opportunity there. And I know there's a lot of other costs that we can't. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, the McKesson... Uh, brand adds a little uh, dollar amount to that also right um, and, the freedom of it. and the freedom of it yeah you know that's sort of to not to do things your way so to speak but when you when you see things and you think there's a better way to do this being able to have the ability to do it that way yeah walk me through the, the then the process and you have this idea and then you know at some point you name the company um and so walk me through the process there um, so first of all, we, we just created the website, started coming up that, but you know, the first thing you need as a consultant is a contract. And so I started looking just really searching the web as this, as if I was looking for a job, you know, in terms of what opportunities were out there and, um, connected with a recruiter online and, uh, she had an opportunity at community health systems that she thought would be a good fit for me. And uh, interviewed with her and then was invited to come down and interview like the week before Christmas, uh, invited to come down to Franklin and interview with leadership at Community Health Systems. So you you specifically went to look at contract roles in your space. Well, wow. yeah. So that that was the start. OK, so you, now you start your new company. So you haven't been a founder CEO before. Uh, what what was your biggest surprise after you know six months uh, with, with your company? Well, in that, in it, it was I will say easy in the beginning. It was um, because you know most of the large corporations they have preferred vendor lists, those types of things, and you don't just walk in as a you know as a solo and and get a contract. Right. It wasn't nearly that easy, and it took you know it, I spent about three months you know looking for that initial contract, and um, so actually subcontracted through another vendor company that had um, an established presence there with community health systems. But then I think just the responsibility, and again, it's easy in the beginning when it's just you, you know, you're the CEO of you. Um, but I think just all of the new things of starting a business in terms of requirements, insurance requirements, requirements, uh, licensing, all the legal things contracts, et cetera, that come along with that. More than just a website, you know? Right. Tim, you've had a lot of different leadership roles and, you know, a, a normal progression, right? Where you start out as an individual contributor and then you, you over time become uh, responsible for a team and, and then obviously for you, a, a founder and a company. Uh, who are you, some of your 
you know, leadership mentors, whether they be, you know, people that uh, you, you knew or just people that you, uh, you know, read their work or something like that? What, what inspired you as a leader to learn? Um, I had, I, you know, I was, I've always been blessed, Jeff, with great leaders. Um, I had a vice president of nursing at Mercy Health that I looked up to and admired her leadership style. Um, I had a chief nursing officer that when I made the decision to leave Mercy Health to go to McKesson, um, part of that process is because they were a McKesson shop, you had to have someone from executive leadership sign off. Um, saying that they had not, you know, recruited you away from a client. And um, when I approached her about that, she immediately said, I support you 100%, um, basically encouraged me to, to take that position, to leave the organization, to grow. And then her thought process behind that was I would go get that new skill set and then bring it back to the organization and make the organization better with it, which I was blessed to be able to do that in terms of to go back into a role, you know, at that organization. But um, I had a great CIO who always encouraged, you know, new ideas and innovation. And he would roll up his shirt, his sleeves and get on a whiteboard with you and help you solve it. I never had a no leader. I had a great leader that I worked with at, at community health systems as well. I thought he was a great team leader. Um, he created a culture where his team trusted him and respected him. That was great to watch also. But I did, I did learn from that, from the one CNO that I was telling you about, you know, a lot of times when people go to leave an organization, leadership will, will discourage it or not necessarily make it easy. Right. And she made it such a, and we're still friends to this day in terms of we mentor each other to this day. Yeah, I mean, the the great leaders understand, want you to thrive and fulfill your purpose and potential. So I think that's, uh, it, it's very important where I think the leaders that don't do that, it impacts their ego because, oh, you're leaving me and I take that as a, you know, ding against me versus taking the, you know, a more empathetic approach, uh, you know, to be a great leader. So, yeah, I mean, and they encouraged growth. Yeah. You know, um, because it does make it, it makes your team better, makes the organization better. It makes their job easier, I think, as a leader. Well, and it makes their team stronger because you want people on your team to want to be there. Right. <laughs> you know, so the, the leaders that, you know, don't give a promotion or, you know, block an internal, obviously. You know that that person is going to eventually leave the company or have to wait out. You know, not reporting under that leader, right? I mean, because they're not happy; they wanted to go. Right, right. And uh, she went from leader and supervisor to friend, and now yeah. um, I view her more as a colleague. Obviously, you know, we're both in, have been in the nursing profession, and she went on to be, become CEO of a hospital. And um, I, she's someone that I value. You know. A great deal now in terms of if there's a decision that I need to make or a, a professional decision, she's someone that I would pick up the phone and call. Uh, so we have those conversations pretty regularly. So you're, you know, basically about six years into your company, or uh, maybe no, that'd be eight years into your company, and the pandemic hits. So to tell me what was that like, and how did you handle uh, the pandemic? 
Well, for someone who's used to being on a plane and being on the go and traveling all over, it was miserable. I'll just say that right up front. Right. <laughs> no bones about that. Yeah. It went from, I was working on a project. I was traveling to Florida, uh, to Plantation, Florida every week. So, you know, there were worse places that you could travel. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, came off the road for a few months and then took another project. And that just after about six or seven months, uh, sitting behind a computer screen in the dining room at home, you know, I am a big champion for change management and relationship management. And I think to manage any large initiative, relationships are the key, especially large initiatives where you're running into issues and you're navigating challenges. I think having key relationships with senior leaders and decision makers um, can make or break your project and the success of it. And it's very, I find it's very difficult to do that sitting behind a computer screen in the dining room. I would much prefer to be walking down the hallway of a hospital or um, at the coffee pot with one of the senior executives where you've built a personal relationship and you're, you know, maybe you're asking about family or something fun that happened over the weekend. Um, I think that becomes the difference then when you have an, a, an issue and you can pick up the phone and call that leader and say, you know, I need your help. We're having an issue with this particular physician or this particular IT leader, and I need you to remove this barrier. I think it's very difficult to create those types of relationships, again, just sitting behind the computer screen at home. And um, not only that, I had teenagers in the house on Zoom. I had a husband who was doing real estate, and when it got to the point where I felt like I could recite his pitch, <laughs> like something's got to give. <laughs> can't do this anymore yes the, the listening in on your uh, partner's uh, calls i yeah we've experienced that uh yeah. as well so yeah that's yeah. interesting it, so i mean obviously it's you know raising kids is uh you know a, a joy and, and yeah you know and hard work but i mean what was your process to kind of you know you and your husband you know, you're traveling every week, your kids are in their, you know, late single digits, early, you know, double digits while you're starting your company. Well, I mean, what was your process like? I mean, how did you balance everything going on? Well, it definitely takes two. Um, and we were fortunate enough that at that time, um, and he's a little bit older than me. So in the early years before kids, we did, we moved a couple of times to, you know, for his career. Mm -hmm. And so he was very, um, you know, when it came, when it came, when the, when the opportunity presented itself for me, he was very supportive of that. And we were fortunate in that his background as an educator, uh, when we moved out to the Franklin area, obviously he couldn't just step right into an administrative role that he was used to. And so he went back into the classroom. Um, but that also gave him a tremendous amount of flexibility. And so his schedule was pretty much the same schedule as, uh, as the kids. And so that allowed us to really just kind of tag team. And so he would kind of take things Monday through Thursday. And then when I got home on Thursday night, uh, over the weekend, I would take a lot of the, a lot of the load and, um, and our kids were, I guess our kids were elementary, late elementary, early middle, when we moved out to Nashville, really, uh, when I started, when I went back into consulting and, Fortunately, with community health systems, I was not on the road, the, you know, for the most part, the first few years. That was occasional travel to go out right. to a region or to a market. And 
Um, and I was fortunate also to have a position with Stewart Health, which was IASIS at the time, and then LifePoint. And so obviously those being based right here in Franklin and Brentwood. Um, but it it definitely takes two. Um, and obviously as we got into technology, you know, I would I would text with the kids a lot. Um, always try to make it home for the big events and was fortunate that I that I had some flexibility even though I was on the road. Did you feel it was a advantage or disadvantage being a, a female in the IT healthcare space? I think at times it's a disadvantage. I think it depends on the role. I think if you're in sales, that you know it has there's a different component to it if you're in sales, you know, sort of the after hours activities. I think if you're a female most leadership positions in IT are male, although that's shifting, obviously. Uh, in the early days, you know, when I first went into it, I think they're majority male. So I really think it depends on the role. I think if you're in the department, again, females, most are clinical if they're in the IT department. So I think there's a lot of respect in when you're in an IT position, if you have a clinical background or if you're a female in the IT department, in, in my early years anyway, so there's a balance. Mm -hmm. I think if you're in a sales position, it's a little bit different. It's easy for you to do business development and that can present challenges. It's easy, I think, for you to do business development when you're dealing with other female executives. I think you have to be more, um, you have to plan more when it's, when they, when it's a male executive. Right. I'm not sure if that answered your question. No, no. I mean, I, I it's just I, interesting. I mean, I just. It's a different dynamic. Yeah. Well, yeah, as and I work with IT. I started my career in IT, but then, then um, was the primary business partner the majority of my career for the on the sales and marketing side with the IT uh, counterparts. And you know, it's just it, it's very male dominated, right? So I could I was just curious from the healthcare IT perspective, it was the same. You know, I think it would be great that, that you were a nurse, obviously, because you you bring an insight that you know few have unless they were a nurse also right so i like the balance i think it's great having male and female i love to see teams that are healthy that have a balance of um, males and females because different perspectives uh, we think differently we work differently we lead differently and so i love to see a balance of both um, i don't think any any team should be you know, all male or all female or, or that type of thing. I love to see a good balance. Absolutely. Um, so uh, in the midst of a pandemic, you decide to start a company, uh, a, a new initiative, because you weren't busy enough being the CEO of an IT healthcare consulting firm. So <laughs> take us through that process, Tammy. Well, do you remember when I said I could recite that pitch? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so it really, I really started thinking one day, I felt, where do, you know, it, it's twofold. I really started thinking one day, okay, where do all the other small business owners go? Where do they, you know, if they do not have a brick and mortar, how do they conduct, like, where do they go to conduct business? Um, if I'm not, I had, I previously was almost always on site with a client either in their corporate office here in Franklin Brentwood or out in one of their regions. But when I was not doing that temporarily, you're working out of a coffee shop or you're working out of your house. And so um, it's very hard to have, I think, confidential conversations with employees. It's hard to do business development when you're in a busy coffee shop. Uh, if you can find a seat, 
or if you have to pack all of your stuff up to go to the restroom and you come back and your seat's taken, then what do you do? Right. And started looking around and something popped up uh, on one of my social media feeds one day and it was a co-working space down in uh, Buckhead uh, outside of Atlanta. And I thought, well, this looks interesting. Didn't really know a lot about co-working spaces or those types of things. And so called him up and went down and spent the day and thought, oh, this is really nice. And it's, I can, I can see what draws um, business owners and theirs was women only. And I did not intention, I did not initially set out to have a women only, you know, co-working space, but it just sort of evolved. But when I went in and visited, I thought this is Williamson County, Franklin, Brentwood, this this demographic is a lot like the Buckhead and, and um, outside of Atlanta and thought, surely we could use one of these. And, you know, if you build it, they'll come. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> um, so I came back and started looking for commercial space and spent about six or eight months looking for commercial wow. space. That was very, that proved much more difficult than I anticipated. Why was that? Well, I thought that because of the pandemic and so many storefronts closing, that people would just be throwing commercial property. Right. It was very difficult to get a broker to um, to return a call, not a proven concept. They were used to the big box, I think, space, you know, e-spaces and those types of things at the time. But a concept like this was was not very familiar at the time. And so the typical response was we don't we don't want office space in that location. It's not traditional office space. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, but it finally got a deal done. Yeah. I did. Um, I found an empty space and a guy was walking on the sidewalk who owned one of the other businesses in the building. And I said, how did you, how did you, you know, get your space? He gave me a contact info. I called the guy and said, I need you to help me broker this deal. I can't get a return call. I can't, I can't get a meeting with them to do a pitch and to walk through the concept. You know, I had a beautiful slide deck and all the things I thought I needed. Um, but but couldn't get a meeting. And so he got that. He had relationships in the industry. So he got the meeting for me. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, obviously they had never done this before, uh, but, you know, like, did you hire like an interior designer, or, you know, to for the space and kind of what was your, I mean, obviously you're good with project plans because that's part of your business, but what kind of, you know, what uh, outside uh, advice did you Again, what type of advice was it for? So I sketched it out. I we once I found the open space, I just I had a vision in mind of I knew what functionality that I needed as far as private meeting rooms, big open co-working area, obviously having a feminine touch to it. I wanted a big, you know, like a sort of a not your typical brick break room, you know, or right. um, so drafted it out, uh, sort of sketched it out on a notebook, found an architect and had him get it sort of code ready for me. And um, then got a referral for a general contractor. And we started, the, we signed the lease and started the building process. Um, I did have a, a friend who, great interior designer. She helped uh, in the early days of getting, uh, sort of pulling things together so that I could focus on construction and ordering furniture and all of the, all of the things um, to sort of make that vision come come to life. So we opened in June of 2022. And uh, business has been good? Business has been good. We good. are with 61 members. Um, we are also just because of the decor and the design of our space, we are able to, we're also a venue and event space. Uh, for example, yesterday we had uh, 60, 
women in a group of C, uh, CPAs who were having their yearly workshop to get their CEUs or their continuing education. Sure. And so they, they booked our space yesterday and did a workshop all day long, which they live streamed to their other members across the state. We have a couple of bridal showers coming up this weekend, nice. baby shower. So everything from dinner parties to holiday parties to social events to corporate retreats. So if uh, a male business traveler stumbles upon the Sapphire Suite at 10 a.m. saying, oh, yeah, this looks like a great place for me to huddle up to my meeting at four o'clock today, what what happens? He absolutely can book a space. So um, we have our co-working side, uh, which is for our members. And then the other two thirds of our space is meeting rooms, conference rooms. Um, we have a couple of beautiful boardrooms what we call Zoom rooms. Uh, we can do a desk for a day. We can do an office for a day. Um, and those are open to members, non-members, male, female, okay. arranged. So did you uh, model yourself after any of the, um, you know, the WeWorks, the Grid, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that are out there. Did you uh, do any of that or it was just all your own kind of thinking and thought process? I did not really model after them. Um, the one and I think, you know, when I when when you asked me earlier, it initially it did not start out to be women owned, but I did visit um, just because we had a like my husband and I had a meeting um, for a business transaction at one of the big box spaces. And so while we were in there, you know, I had of course I had come home and said, hey, I have a business idea. <laughs> what do you think? And, um, and same, you know, he really, they just weren't a thing, you know, three years ago, quite as much. Right. And so the day that we went to meet with um, a, a closing, uh, like a real estate closing attorney at the big base, I said, what do you notice? And, and there are hardly any, any women here. So that's kind of how we landed on, right. you know, hearing space towards women. So I, I think they're all similar in terms of you have a space to work, you can book rooms, you can, you know, different things like that. But really what we wanted to create was the feeling of working at home without the distractions of working at home. Yeah. So we have our, our co-working tables or dining room tables, um, our board table, our boardroom tables, our dining room tables. They're not the typical industrial style table that you would see. Yeah. I love it. Yes. So there's something for everybody, you know, yeah. just depends. If you're in town, I, you know, I know I was just thinking that if I'm in town, I definitely have to go. <laughs> you have options. You can you can go across town or you can, you know, come with us for a day. Yeah, no, I love that. So, I mean, how do you uh, kind of prioritize your time, you know, between the two businesses? So with my healthcare IT, with Bridgemore, um, I have a wonderful VP of operations. She lives in Cincinnati. Uh, she is, you know, we're on the Department of Defense project, um, which was a, a great you know, thing for us as a small business partner, um, we were invited by Cerner to participate in that um, project as one of their small business partners. They were a client of ours at the time. So that was a great thing for us. And she pretty much uh, handles all of those relationships. She, she does our recruiting. You know, I joke and just say, I just have to sign the paychecks and deal with any HR issues that come along, which fortunately are, are few. But that really is, I don't, I don't fret over that on a daily basis. My days are typically here, but my time is probably divided 60, 40 uh, during the week, 60% here with the co-working space, 
40% um, tracking and keeping up with things with Bridgemore. Yeah, that's great. Having uh, good team members, that's the key. Yes, 100%. It's the key to success. Totally agree with that. Tammy, there's two groups I'd love to help with uh, leadership advice from uh, exceptional people like yourself. One is uh, recent college graduates as they try to navigate their first job search as well as the start of their professional uh, career journey. What advice do you have for them? For new graduates, I would say the power of networking. Do not underestimate the power of networking. Um, you know, this is something I, I now have a freshman in college and a junior in college, and they are starting to think about internships, uh, at least the junior is. And so, you know, I would tell them build relationships with fellow students, build relationships with professors, leverage your parents' connections. There are several of my daughter's friends that I've, you know, watched grow up and now watching them as juniors in college and thinking about what their next steps are in their career. Uh, I would recommend them 100%. So what I try to tell mine is, you know, leverage relations, build good relationships and the power of networking. I, you know, I know in high school they would apply for jobs and, and the answer would be, well, we applied on Indeed. And maybe I'm old school, but I would say, you know, dress up. I don't care if you're applying for a server job, dress up, drive down there, go in, ask for the manager, shake their hand, introduce yourself. You know, I think some some things have become too much online, but I would just say the to appreciate the power of networking. You know, I, it's interesting. I uh, last semester, uh, the spring semester, I taught at the University of Kansas, and um, a colleague, uh, you know, was trying to tell you know what's going on in class and getting some advice because uh, that was the first time I had taught in a, a long, long time. Uh, you know, in a collegiate setting. Um, and he gave me advice saying, you know, these were the, these are the students, the young adults that came through the COVID period where they were doing zoom courses only. Do you know, did you notice with your, uh, you know, uh, junior and freshman in college, you know, their, their socialization skills are a little less because of the zoom period during the pandemic? 100%. You know, and I think like all of us that have kids, your kids are, you know, they're wired differently. And uh, my junior, you know, my daughter, she's, that's my daughter. She, um, you know, I have two daughters, I should say my oldest one is, is she's 21. And that's the one she has Down syndrome. So she's home with us. But my junior in college, um, I I think she's more wired for remote, self-motivated, um, likes the, she has more control over it. She works at her own pace, that type of thing. She can put, you know, as much into it. Um, I think it impacted my son more from a, from the lack of socialization. It's too easy to isolate. It's too easy to get caught up in video games and not having to be anywhere and not having to, you know, get dressed up, show up, that type of thing. I think it definitely impacted him more. And it, it will be interesting as you know, and you and I have had a previous conversation about hybrid versus remote. It will be interesting to see as things start to shift back towards in person. I don't think we'll ever go back to the way things were before, but it will be interesting to see how sort of the COVID generation of, of kids or students transition. Um, if they're in a if they're in a position where someone says, no, you have to be in the office five days a week, eight to five. Um, I'm not sure they will survive. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I think it's, yeah, I don't know if the companies that do that. And 
not sure that's the best uh, strategy, but uh, they're probably not going to ask me. Um, and I think you have to do what works for your company. I think you have to do what works for your company and what works yeah. for your employees. But I do think the kids that have that have come out of sort of the COVID are going to struggle if it's a position that requires in office. Yeah, totally agree. Um, the second group I love to help is, you know, once you start your career, usually an individual contributor, um, but then you get the, the manager role and now you're responsible for people and the, you know, sometimes the strategy, or at least your, and your know, performance reviews and, you know, people are going to come to you for, you know, their issues, uh, mostly professional, but they could be even be personal issues. So what advice, uh, Tammy, would you have for them as they begin their uh, leadership journey? Um, Leverage the power of the team, leverage the talent that's on your team. You don't have to have all the answers. You know, I think a lot of time it's natural when you move into that role to think that, you know, you have to, you have to know everything. You have to have the final answer on everything. And I, I, if I had to do that over again, uh, I would definitely leverage sort of the skills of the team um, and, you know, find a leader that you respect and ask them to be a sounding board for you um, or a mentor, you know, put whatever label on it that you want, but ask them to be a sounding board for you so that when you have challenges, you know, you can come to them um, in a safe place to be able to say, hey, I don't know. And, you know, we have this issue with the team. I'm struggling with this. Uh, how would you handle this situation? Uh, and slow to hire, quick to fire. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably the biggest one. Um, um, well, Tammy, you've you've had a, a, a great career. I love the the whole nurse transition into the healthcare IT space. And I can't wait to visit Nashville and to come into the Sapphire Suite. To, if I can find the wine or the beer fridge, that's going to be uh, good for me. We do have one of those. We do have one of those. <laughs> and we have an under-the-counter cabinet. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Tammy, thank you. thank you so much for being on the Corporate Couch today. Thank you, Jeff. I'm not sure what I love best about Tammy, that she wanted to meet Elon Musk or <laughs> that she wanted to fly jets as a, as a child. Uh, no, in, in all seriousness, I just I, what a career. I mean, she pivoted from accounting to nursing because she had an experience in the ER and this wonderful ER nurse so inspired her that she became one. And then yeah. she works, I think it was about 12 years in the nursing field at various hospitals and then pivots to McKesson, which, you know, one of the largest medical supply companies in the world, and then just decides, uh, well, she leaves McKesson, works at a hospital, kind of from the IT perspective, looks at what McKesson consultants are billing, and she said, well, I never made $350 an I can, hour. I can take a piece of that. <laughs> I, let me let me start my own company in the, you know, so being an early female exec in the IT healthcare space, I just thought it was a phenomenal uh, journey, but what what did you take out of it? Oh, Julie? it was it was exactly that the pivoting that goes on, and then so then she started a consulting company, and you think, okay, I'm at the top of my world now, heading up this consulting company. Oh, I think I'll just start another company in an industry that I know absolutely nothing about. I think that's amazing that that kind of 
fortitude exists inside of inside of some people and boy it's it's definitely inside of Tammy so she goes out and says I'm going to go into the co-working space um, which she which was an industry I think she barely even knew existed uh, visited some some co-working spaces in Atlanta and uh, then had to research it on her own and said wow this looks like something that would be interesting to start as a company um, and uh, apparently it's it's doing very well so I think that's just amazing that there are people out there that can be that late in their career and start something completely from scratch from something that they have virtually no experience in and and then be successful about kind of makes you wonder what her next thing will be right <laughs> you know oh I think I'll start a company and blah blah something else yeah. uh, that that she never heard of um I well, and, and starting it in a pandemic. Oh, yeah. By the way. <laughs> Just a minor detail. <laughs> minor detail. I know nothing about this industry. It's a pandemic that yeah. we've never seen before. And, and, and ah, start a company. And, and of course, we have the hindsight to know kind of how the pandemic panned out, if you will. But if you remember that three some years ago, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know. <laughs> is this the new norm? Is this right? Is this is the world ever going to be like this? What's coming around the corner uh, again? So, yeah, it's it was an amazing story. So, Joe, uh, any uh, leadership wisdom you want to give our listeners? We're going to go to a famous baseball philosopher named Tim McCarver. And one time when he was talking about the great pitcher Bob Gibson, he said, Bob Gibson is the luckiest pitcher I ever saw. He always pitches when the other team doesn't score any runs. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.